This is an ABC podcast. Hello, I'm Kerry Phillips, and in this episode of Rear Vision, radioactive waste and nuclear submarines. What lies ahead for Australia? The AUKUS agreement we confirm here in San Diego represents the biggest single investment in Australia's defence capability in all of our history. From early in the next decade, Australia will take delivery of three US Virginia-class nuclear-powered submarines. This is the first time in 65 years and only the second time in history that the United States has shared its nuclear propulsion technology and we thank you for it. The Prime Minister speaking at the signing of the AUKUS Security Pact last month. Under the pact with the US and the UK, Australia will acquire its first nuclear-powered submarines, and we've also agreed to store all the high-level nuclear waste they generate here in Australia. It will be a first for us, and as we'll hear in this rear vision, it will be a political as well as a scientific challenge. And, as we'll hear later, nuclear subs come with their own special problems. First, a look at radioactive waste, which comes in three basic grades, depending on how much radiation it emits and for how long. Now, there's low-level nuclear waste, which tends to be short-lived and not so radioactive and can be disposed of in shallow land burial. I'm Alison McFarlane. I'm a professor at the School of Public Policy and Global Affairs at the University of British Columbia and the former chairman of the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. There's intermediate nuclear waste, which is longer-lived, much longer-lived, but not as radioactive. But it usually needs to be disposed of with some kind of relatively deep geologic burial. And then there's high-level nuclear waste, with things like spent nuclear fuel, which need to be disposed of in some kind of deep geologic repository because it's it's long-lasting and very radioactive. The different grades of nuclear waste need to be managed in different ways. Yes, yeah, so for a low-level waste, typically the waste is compacted to try and reduce the volume as much as possible and then kept in containers above ground or just below ground. Hi, I'm Patrick Burr. I'm a senior lecturer at the University of New South Wales and I teach nuclear engineering. So that's an engineered facility that looks like a a very orderly sort of assembly of containers, typically on a concrete bed that is lined with steel. So there are some engineering measures there to monitor and make sure that the waste stays where it's been put. But it's not very dissimilar to a normal waste facility of you know commercial industrial waste except for it tends to be very tidy because you know the nuclear industry is very strongly regulated when you get to intermediate level waste we need to start dealing with radioactivity to the point that you can't just handle things manually you can't just walk through the waste like it, as if it was non-radioactive and so the waste itself gets embedded typically in concrete in big concrete drums and that provides both encapsulation of the waste so it doesn't escape and it's in big large containers but also some shielding so the radioactivity would have to go through the concrete and out before reaching the biosphere or or the operators and that concrete provides some level of containment and shielding then we get to the high level waste and that's the one that people are most concerned with because it's where most of the radioactivity is in 
something like 95 or 96 percent of all of the radioactive waste produced by nuclear activities in the world falls in their low level category, right? And only 0. Point something percent falls in the high level category. But nearly all of the radioactivity is in that high level category. So there's a very small amount, a small volume of waste that is extremely radioactive. We'll hear more about dealing with high-level nuclear waste a bit later. Australia has been accumulating low- and intermediate-level waste since the 1950s. We don't have a central facility for the storage or disposal of this waste, although, as we'll hear, a site has been selected in South Australia. Ian Lowe is an emeritus professor in the School of Science at Griffith University. The main sources of nuclear waste historically have been nuclear medicine, laboratory research and the research reactor at Lucas Heights. The waste from nuclear medicine is comparatively benign because it's in the nature of the sort of isotopes that you use for medical treatment that they have a relatively long half-life because you don't want the patient being uh, irradiated for weeks or months or years as a result of uh, the nuclear medicine. So they tend to use isotopes that decay quite quickly so that the isotope is injected, it's used for imaging or treatment, and then it decays quite rapidly. So that low-level waste is comparatively benign, but the concern historically has been that that waste is at literally hundreds of sites scattered around the country, you know, in some cases just in, in cupboards in uh, university laboratories or in hospitals. And the Commonwealth Government has been arguing for 20 years that the waste would be more secure if it were in a central secure repository. And there's no doubt that the waste is more secure in a centralised repository than in store cupboards. The whole argument for a centralised repository is that the risk of transporting the waste from where it is now to that centralised site is acceptable and less than the risk of leaving it where it is. And I think that's credible, but I, I would like to see at least a back-of-the-envelope calculation to substantiate that. Australia's first nuclear reactor was built at Lucas Heights in Sydney in 1958. It was supposed to pave the way for Australia's nuclear energy future, but things didn't turn out that way. In the 1990s and early 2000s, the spent nuclear fuel produced there was sent to France for reprocessing before being sent back here for long-term storage. Since the research reactor at Lucas Heights was built and then the original HIFA reactor was decommissioned and replaced by the Opal reactor, we've produced so-called intermediate level waste from the spent fuel rods in those research reactors. And uh, what we've been doing up to now is sending those spent fuel rods to France to be reprocessed. And the intermediate level waste has been sent back to Australia and it's in temporary storage at Lucas Heights while we think about what we're going to do with it eventually. The intermediate level waste does need to be much more securely stored than the low-level waste because it is a risk to human health and the biosphere for thousands of years. And uh, there's been vague talk over the years of some sort of geological repository. And it's been argued quite reasonably that Australia has uh, stable geological strata so that we're better placed than most countries for secure storage. The political problem is that Every proposal for storing even low-level waste 
has met local opposition. And in particular, every proposal has been imposed by the Indigenous people who are the traditional owners of the land concerned. And that's partly the historical legacy that the Indigenous community were never consulted before Robert Menzies allowed the British to test their weapons on Australian soil at the Montebello Islands and Emu Fields and Maralinga. And uh, there was serious health to some of the Indigenous people who were downwind of those tests. And as a result, they're quite hostile to the idea of radioactive material being stored on their land. And it seems to me that's a very difficult political problem that now that we're committed to taking much more seriously the concerns of the first Australians, anywhere we would want to store high-level radioactive waste will be the land of one group or other of traditional owners. And if the traditional owners don't want it stored there, it's not easy to see how we're going to find a site. The geological stability is one thing, but the social and political stability is another. A farming property on South Australia's Eyre Peninsula has been selected by the federal government to host a controversial national nuclear waste facility. Following years of consultation, the 160-hectare site in Kimber has been given the green light after 60% of local residents voted in support of the plan. I thought it was a good idea. Uh, I still think it's a good idea. Obviously, we're very disappointed um, to hear it overnight and to see that it's going to go ahead here. We've, there's been strong opposition, and uh, for the minister to come out and say it's going to be here, you know, it's, it's quite devastating, and certainly for those people that live within 5Ks of it. After almost a decade of community consultation, the Morrison government chose Kimber on South Australia's Eyre Peninsula as the site for Australia's first national nuclear waste facility. Work has begun at the site, despite continuing opposition from Bangala traditional owners and other locals. The National Radioactive Waste Management Facility will consolidate Australia's low-level radioactive waste permanently and intermediate-level waste temporarily. Australia hasn't produced any high-level nuclear waste yet, but the government has committed to keeping all the high-level waste from the AUKUS submarines in Australia. Because the fuel in those nuclear submarines is highly enriched, weapons-grade uranium, it produces a much nastier mix of fissile byproducts than power reactors or the research reactor at Lucas Heights. So we are taking on a much more difficult problem in agreeing to manage the waste from nuclear submarines. It's more difficult than the problem of managing waste for nuclear reactors. Now, the South Australian Royal Commission recommended that Australia should set up shop to take in the waste from nuclear power reactors in our region because countries like Japan and South Korea have the problem that uh, they're geologically unstable and so they have great difficulty finding a suitable site for storage of waste. The South Australian Royal Commission said that there was a, a business opportunity for Australia to take in the radioactive waste from power reactors that recommendation was considered by a citizen's jury and the citizen's jury basically recommended by a two-to-one majority against it. So the concern I have is if the Australian community has said we're not willing to accept the waste from nuclear power reactors, how likely is it that a community will be keen to accept the much more intractable waste from nuclear submarines? High-level waste makes up only a small proportion of overall nuclear waste. There's not a lot of it, relatively speaking, is there? 
No, it's a relatively small proportion and it's a relatively small volume. And those who advocate, for example, Australia having nuclear power stations point out that the volume of waste is quite small compared with the volumes of waste that we process from other industries. And that's a valid point. The difficulty is that the waste is so intensely radioactive that it needs to be managed for literally thousands of years. I point out to people that that's not just a technical problem, it's also a social problem because that's longer than any human society has ever endured. And if you think about the fact that uh, when our civilizations discovered sites like the Egyptian pyramids, not being able to decipher any of the messages around them, the first step was to try and get in there and find out what valuable was stored there. And I remind people that if we're going to store radioactive waste for a period of tens of thousands of years, we need to develop some sort of social structure that will endure beyond our civilization and ensure that whatever future group come across these repositories know that it's very dangerous and knows that they, they should stay away. The storage of radioactive waste has been a challenge since the US, the UK and the Soviet Union began to harness nuclear power in the 1950s. Nuclear power plants are the greatest source of high-level nuclear waste and around 30 countries now generate some of their electricity this way. As yet, none of the high-level waste produced in more than half a century of nuclear power has been successfully permanently stored. Most countries, the vast majority of countries with nuclear power plants, plan on disposing of their spent nuclear fuel in a deep geologic repository. That's a mined facility, probably four or 500 meters below the surface of the earth in some kind of stable geologic rock. None have opened a deep geologic repository yet. The country that's probably the closest to this is Finland which is constructing a repository. They've got a license to construct a repository and they will soon submit a license to their regulator to operate this repository. Sweden has also selected a site. France has selected a site. I'll say that there are few countries like France and the UK in the past that used to reprocess their spent fuel so they would basically melt the spent fuel down in a vat of, of nitric acid, and they would extract some of the uranium and the plutonium to theoretically reuse in new fuel. Now you still have high-level waste, and that high-level waste would be put together, solidified in a glass, and then that is what is going to go in the deep geologic repository. So yes, they would end up with lower volumes of high-level waste, but they end up with much higher volumes of low-level waste and intermediate-level waste, which also needs to be disposed of. And it's not the volume that is the relevant metric for a repository, the size of a repository. It's the heat production of the waste and the composition of the waste that are important. And so if you still have relatively high heat production, you're still going to see, need a same-sized repository as you would for just directly disposing of spent fuel.
While countries may be planning deep geological repositories, how's their high-level radioactive waste being stored now? It depends on the country, of course. The United States, for instance, has four low-level waste repository facilities. For the most part, they seem to operate safely. They do have one facility for intermediate level nuclear waste from the nuclear weapons complex only, so no civilian waste. That facility, which is a deep geologic repository, did experience an accident a number of years ago where one of the waste canisters exploded and released radiation. Now, they managed that in the end. They sealed off the tunnel in which that was in place, and, you know, it's fine, and they are proceeding. But they didn't carefully enough analyze the materials that they were putting in the bins when they disposed of them, and they put materials that reacted with each other and and exploded. So that's something that needs a lot of oversight. The UK was one of the pioneers of nuclear power. The world's first commercial nuclear power station, called a hall at Windscale in England, was connected to the national power grid in August 1956. The first British nuclear-powered submarine, Dreadnought, was launched in 1960. The UK has been accumulating high-level nuclear waste for decades. Dr Paul Dorfman is the chair of the Nuclear Consulting Group. The nuclear waste from the submarines, the, the high-level spent fuel, is like all of the nuclear waste in the UK, the high-level stuff, the very, very dangerous stuff, is being stored, being stored at Sellafield. There is no current disposal route. There's no current disposal strategy. There's been a long, decades-long process to try to find what's known as a, a site for, for geological disposal facility, but surprisingly enough, no one wants it near them. As a key part of this, uh, community involvement, in other words, it, it is completely essential for the community to be actively involved and resourced to be involved, to enter in these discussions as an equal partner. This is important in terms of trust building and also important in simple terms of, of how this works. There is no way that any of this can go on without community participation, significant community participation, and also community acceptance, if you will, of what's going on. Because in a democracy, it is critically important for those who will be affected by these potentially problem, you know, could be dangerous, problematic substances to know completely what they're getting into and that with a fair wind, if all goes well, these substances will be contained. So there's this huge issue about what to do with high-level nuclear waste, and currently the UK simply stores it. Now, what's interesting about this is that when one thinks about the cost of nuclear waste, the military aspect you know, makes up part of it, but the substantive cost has come from the civil reactors, and the cost has, has rocketed over the past few years. It's largely because we, we've come to understand more exactly what it costs, what nuclear waste actually does cost, and the problems involved. 
What do we know about the nuclear waste from Australia's submarines? Some waste will be continuously produced throughout the life cycle of the sub. The government has described this as small amounts of low-level radioactive waste, and that'll be stored at Australia's defence sites. But when a submarine reaches the end of its life and must be decommissioned, the entire reactor, including the spent fuel, needs to be disposed of. What's available is that the first three submarines we get will be US Virginia-class submarines, second-hand, pre-loved nuclear submarines, so we know that they will have the same onboard reactor that the current Virginia-class submarines have. It's called a small reactor, but that's uh, because it's small by comparison with a nuclear power station reactor. It actually weighs 100 tonnes, and it contains 200 kilograms of highly enriched uranium. So it's not a trivial piece of equipment. It's quite a, a large reactor by any normal standards, and it contains a very significant amount of weapons-grade enriched uranium, so that it poses two issues. One, the need for military-grade security to ensure that the fissile material isn't misused. And secondly, we need a management plan for handling the waste at the end of its useful life. Beyond those three Virginia-class submarines, the AUKUS arrangement is that there'll be five of a new class of submarine to be jointly designed and at this point nobody knows what that will look like except that both the UK and the US use submarines with nuclear reactors which are preloaded with fuel for their life so that there isn't a reloading process as with the French nuclear submarines for example. The British and American submarines place on board a reactor which contains all of the fuel for its life and then when the submarine is decommissioned, the whole reactor is removed as a single entity. Neither of Australia's AUKUS allies have managed to solve the problem of what to do with the radioactive waste from their nuclear subs. In Britain today, more than 20 nuclear submarines await decommissioning. Well, the worrying thing is that the US has been using nuclear submarines for 70 years and the UK have been using them for 60 years and neither country yet has a plan for storing and managing the long-lived radioactive waste that results from the reactors in those submarines. In the US, the sealed units are just piled up waiting for a disposal and management plan. In the UK, the spent fuel has been transferred to their nuclear site at Sellafield, formerly known as Windscale, where the fuel elements are stored underwater as a temporary measure. And the so-called uh, intermediate waste that the rest of the reactor, one or two tonnes per reactor, is highly radioactive and needs to be managed. There's a discussion document out for public consultation at the moment in the, the UK. In the interim, the waste is in temporary storage and the discussion paper says they hope to have a geological disposal site sometime in the 2040s. So the concern I have is that if we accept the AUKUS deal and accept these submarines, we are undertaking to solve a problem which neither the UK nor the US has yet solved. Given the public hostility to managing low-level radioactive waste, it's hard to imagine how we're going to get uh, public support for 
managing the high-level radioactive waste that needs to be stored basically for geological time. There are specific issues that you have to pay attention to with submarine spent nuclear fuel. If it is a submarine that is of the design used in the U.S., it will have very highly enriched uranium in it, which is a proliferation hazard. That material could be used directly in a nuclear bomb. And so there will be stringent security, physical security requirements needed. And there will be safeguards requirements needed because Australia is not a nuclear power and therefore will be subject to safeguards by the International Atomic Energy Agency. So those are additional costs before you even get to the disposing of the material. Now, if this is this highly enriched uranium, then you do have to worry about the potential for criticality, so future nuclear explosions, depending on where you dispose of this material. And so that may mean you need to process the waste. And so that may be additional costs and in a variety of ways, of course, you know, the costs of processing, the additional waste streams that you would develop, and of course, all the additional security and safeguards that you would have to add to such a facility. So there are potentially lots of additional costs to deal with this particular kind of material than you would have with just regular old spent fuel from a nuclear power plant. How confident are you that we can safely store high-level nuclear waste? I would say pretty darn confident. I am a strong proponent of disposing of high-level nuclear waste and intermediate nuclear waste in a deep geologic repository. I think it is the best answer that we have, right? I mean, we're not going to shoot it into outer space because we can't for sure get a rocket up there without it exploding on the way and distributing all this material all over the atmosphere. We can't put it in the middle of the oceans because that's international waters and you'd never get agreement. So we're, we're not left with a lot of other options, but we do want to, to, to the best of our ability, minimize our exposure to this material. And the best way to do that is to put it very deep underground. And so I think we can do this safely. It's not a lot of material in the end. One always has to think about all of these kinds of difficult problems relative to other difficult problems. And so in a relative sense, it's not such a difficult problem. Now, that's technically. For Australia, I know that because I've looked at citing the low-level waste facility a little bit, I know that finding a site that is amenable in a consent-based way has been very difficult for Australia. And so I think one should think about that very carefully. I mean, I think you're going to need to do a lot of work to find an acceptable site that's acceptable to the larger majority of people. And I include Aboriginal peoples in that statement. Alison McFarlane, Professor at the School of Public Policy and Global Affairs at the University of British Columbia. She's the former chair of the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. My other guests were Ian Lowe, 
an emeritus professor at the School of Science at Griffith University, Dr Patrick Burr, a nuclear engineer from the University of New South Wales, and Dr Paul Dorfman from the University of Sussex. He's the chair of the Nuclear Consulting Group and has advised the UK Ministry of Defence's nuclear submarine dismantling project. This Rio Vision was produced by me, Kerry Phillips, and sound engineer Hamish Camilleri for ABC RN. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.